Hello, and welcome to the Dr. Nurse Mama Show, the home of happy parents and healthy teens on American Family Radio. Here's your host, Dr. Jessica Peck. Well, hi, friends, and welcome to the Dr. Nurse Mama podcast. I am your host, Dr. Jessica Peck, professor, pediatric nurse practitioner, author, and mom of four. Now, today we have a very important episode for you. Drop whatever you're doing and pay attention because we're talking about something very important. We're going to talk about human trafficking. Now, as usual, we're talking about tough subjects. So if you have little ears, you may want to adjust your listening audience as we go forward. But I am delighted today to have my very good friend and anti-trafficking advocate, Carrie Taylor, with me on the Dr. Nurse Mama podcast. Carrie is the director of Unbound Houston. And Carrie, if you don't mind, I'm going to start by telling everyone how you literally changed my life. So as you you, all my listeners know, uh, I'm a pediatric nurse practitioner. I'm a professor, uh, just mom, just going along my merry little way. And about a decade ago, you came into my life with a very simple request. You asked me to help make continuing education for nurses about human trafficking. And my exact thought was, oh, absolutely not. I don't know anything about trafficking, but I knew that I knew about educating nurses. And so what my listeners may not know is that, yes, I care about all things child health, but what I've been doing in a nursing space for largely for the last decade, my life took a dramatic left turn. I wrote that continuing education and then ended up on the radio in the halls of Congress, working with the U.S. government. It has been a wild ride. And that is all because of you. So Carrie, thank you for that. And I'm so happy to be able to share our conversation with our our listener family today. Well, thank you for that. That was like very pivotal, wasn't it? That meeting, having coffee. I think that Unbound Now has reached about... The last time I saw it, it was over 50,000 professionals, medical professionals with this education. And it's morphed a little bit, you know, as we learn more and research comes about. But it all started with uh, me reaching out to you because I was unequipped to educate nurses, but I knew what they needed to know. And it's always been, you know, our desire to go, okay, where are these survivors? How can we find them? How can we connect with them? And how can we serve them? And strategically, I thought nurses can find them. Nurses encounter them all the time anyway, and nurses are trusted by their patients. So I just thought, you know, it was a great um, touch point and it has turned out to be really, really crazy. It really has. And 50,000, I mean, that's just absolutely amazing. And I will say even, you know, as we see laws across the country that are requiring different professions to take human trafficking education, you know, we were really involved. And I say we and the National Association of Pediatric Nurse Practitioners and Unbound Now were involved in getting that legislation passed in Texas. And we were the first state to require standards for that education. And those standards were set by the work that you and I did together. And that's yes. gives me goosebumps. And you know what? I was just thinking. So we we really started out with nurses, right? But now we have specific trainings for pharmacists who I find are like these 
really approachable medical professionals that you don't need an appointment with. You can just talk to, and that's a great touch point for these survivors that come in with all of these really sign, great signs to identify for trafficking in the way they're handling medication. And so, um, you know, all of that came out of that conversation as well. And, you know, that's where we are today, but looking back to where we were and where we started, I mean, we had, there's a lot of ground to cover. And so what I want to talk about this week, especially is my cell phone is pinging. I'm sure yours is too. Everyone is talking about the movie, The Sound of Freedom and asking, you know, what do I think about it? Because they know that this is my passion. This is what I work with. And I'm sure you're having the same experience. So let's break it down for the parents, the caregivers, grandparents, all of those people who care about kids, especially listening in. Carrie, what is human trafficking and why should parents today be concerned? Well, a really um, easy lay person's definition is that it's the sale of another person's body or their labor in exchange for something of value. And usually that something of value is money. It can be, but um, it could also be an exchange for drugs or an exchange for a cell phone or an exchange for anything, um, alcohol or something that uh, you know, hair, you know, hair products, or it could be anything that is valuable. And we know that um, we're really identifying um, victims and survivors better than we used to. But usually, they've been exploited for two or three years before we identify them, and that's kind of gut wrenching. And so, if you think if you bring parents into it and help parents know exactly what they're looking for and how their child as as safe as they are and as much as we're looking out for them, how they might be vulnerable in certain ways, you know, that's that's an empowerment movement I want to be a part of. It's so true. And you know, I think as people are watching this movie, The Sound of Freedom, or talking about trafficking, it is such a heart-wrenching story and something that's so important, something that's going on in the world, but it's also going on right here in our backyard. And that's something that really gripped me when you started talking to me about this, thinking that, no, this is happening in my hometown, in my community. Now, of course, we live in Houston, so that's a big city. And of course, it happens in big cities. But we live in the suburbs and it's happening in the suburbs too and in rural communities. So I'd love for you to talk about some of the work that Unbound Now is doing right here in Houston because you have other places, other chapters that are doing it at other places across Texas and across the country that are seeing the same kinds of impacts in the community. What does it look like when someone comes to you who's needing help or services? Well, um, I'm so glad you had, because I had those same conversations at uh, barbecue parties yesterday (laughs) during my July 4th uh, celebration, because people, again, know that's my passion, and they wanted to talk to me about the movie they'd seen, and um, I'm really, really glad for the publicity that it's bringing to this topic, but that it just necessitated this next level conversation, like, yes, internationally, this happens, yes, children are abducted. But um, Unbound Now actually passed the 2000 mark in February of the number of survivors we'd served. And um, I I sat down with leadership a a week or so ago and said, okay, tell me, like, how many of the survivors that we've served were an abduction or something like that? And though this was anecdotal, we didn't get out our records. Like, we sat and we thought really, really hard. 
and we came up with about two or three. Um, the rest of all of those cases um, were people who, in a sense, were abducted in their mind and their heart. Um, a predator looked and saw, oh, here's a need, here's a vulnerability, here's this open door, and just plowed right through it. Um, if there's any need at all, that's a little bit obvious. And and there's a quote, actually, from uh, a pimp, also known as a trafficker, that we often quote. It says, um, even if someone has a, a great support system, that's intact for them usually. I just have to get them on that one day when it's not, like when they didn't make the team or when they failed a test or when they break broke up with a boyfriend or had a fight with their best friend, whatever that looks like, if they post about it online or if they um, are talking about it in a place where that predator can hear or knows about it and wants to move in, oh, it's the perfect opening. And so um, it, it does happen to vulnerable po populations, like ones we consider traditionally vulnerable, right? But anyone, even those from an intact family can be vulnerable to be trafficked on any given day when the disappointments and things that happen in life, especially as a preteen or a teenager, happen and um, you're vulnerable to someone moving in and strategically complimenting you, providing things for you, attending to you um, and manipulating you. Unfortunately, it's very, very, very difficult to recognize. Um, almost no one can recognize it when it's happening to you because your lens is just obstructed. That person has targeted you and they know how they're steering the conversation. Um, and of course, they're going to go to young people who don't have great linear thought developed or um, cause and effect or even just realize um, even dropping your guard for a moment with someone you don't know that well can have catastrophic, you know, consequences. It's so true. So I'm sure you have the same experience. You know, many times we see uh, stories that talk about abductions, which are scary. And of course, you know, scare every parent. But that's interesting to know, even in your sample, and that's reflective of what I see across scientific literature, is saying that kidnapping is way on the bottom of the list. And I'll mm -hmm. often see parents post something like this on social media, like, I don't usually post things like this, but, you know, and then they'll scare, they'll share a scary experience of someone who looked nefarious following them around a grocery store and they say this is a trafficker and the truth is that traffickers have so many people who are vulnerable that are easy to groom into that situation they don't have to take the risk of snatching someone off the street and you know alerting police presence and everything and really as parents we need to be much more concerned about the 2000 or so strangers that can be invited at a moment's notice into your child's bedroom and that's through social media on their smartphone and that's where we see trafficking I know Carrie moving from the street to the smartphone so let's talk a little bit about that specific methodology about how traffickers recruit people either that they know in their social circle or in their social circle online? Um, well, most for young people, recruiting, grooming, and actually scheduling, uh, starting to exploit someone happens online. It actually does. Um, 
let's say someone makes a post like, I hate my life, or I can't wait to be out of this school or whatever they say. Um, And traffickers, predators literally are scanning uh, posts of kids all the time, whether it's on Facebook or um, Snapchat or Instagram, really those, the ones we call traditional and more feel like they're safer, um, they're there recruiting people all of the time. And usually what they'll notice is some kind of a post that, oh, I could, I could, you know, talk about that. And they just start, they friend someone, then they just like, you know, they click on the like button a few times and then it increases to commenting, right? And then, um, it progresses to, hey, we're, we're, we're more familiar online now. And they share something that seems intimate, you know, like some kind of a secret. And then ask for a secret back from the child, um, which ought to be fishy. But with kids, you know, they don't always recognize that. Oh, I, I built some trust here, right? And that secret is used to manipulate them, to blackmail them, to hold it over their head. And once any kind of information is shared like that, that child in their mind is thinking, I don't want to do this, but maybe just this once I'll do it and it'll all go away. My problems will be done, you know, get this person out of my life. Not realizing that really now they just have that much more to blackmail you with. And there's, you know, once you you cross into that line and step into it, there is so much coercion and um blackmail that they can use to keep you in that life. It's not a one and done ever. It's so true. And we're seeing stories like that. I'm seeing them in my community and my practice and in the news where you're right, their frontal cortex is not developed. And so they can't imagine a life ahead of this. And a lot of times, sadly, you know, these kids will even take their own life because they just can't see a future ahead of that. And it's really important, I think, to drop what I call the not my kid mantra, you know, thinking, oh, my kid would never fall for that. Like, oh, my kid would never do that. Or, you know, I don't need to talk about that because I don't want, you know, to scare my kid or talk about something they haven't been exposed to yet. But the fact is we need to be talking to kids about it before it happens in a way that doesn't scare them, in a way that's developmentally appropriate, but most importantly, in a way that empowers them to recognize the signs and to act. So let's talk about that, Carrie. What are the signs that you tell parents to look for to say, hey, if you see something like this, you should say something? Um, well, any... Uh, you you need to be monitoring your child's online presence and look for friends that you don't know that um, are always complimenting. But how do you know me? Like and w- th- this is a very sudden um, relationship, but also suggesting, um, hey, let's meet up or let's go here or even asking, are they asking questions to give themselves information? Are they doing research on your child so that they know what makes them tick? What's their favorite movie? What's um, their favorite music? Um, What kind of kids do they hang out with? What are their sports? You know, uh, who they think's cute? Um, What kind of problems are you having with your parent? And they use all this later on to turn it around and say, oh, I had that same thing. It it helps them build relationship. Maybe they know, uh, they find out your child wants to be a nurse when they grow up. Well, then a story is 
easy. Oh, I'm going to be a doctor. I just got accepted to medical school. I'm I'm going to be at this campus next week. You should go. We should go look at it together, right? That sounds exciting and safe, and we have common goals. Um, but it's so it, true. And I mean, even from you know working with you and seeing the some of the cases that you've worked with and some that have been shared in the media. I mean, we're we're talking about just kids. Like I remember one in particular, a collegiate athlete who had a painful breakup on social media, and that trafficker saw that and did exactly what you just said. Started grooming her to recruit her away from her family and just to put up walls there, saying they don't understand you. And the next thing you know, she's not going to college. You know, and she is with this trafficker and really emerged like you said before, being taken captive by your mind and heart with what something we call in the healthcare profession is trauma bonding. And it's almost like Stockholm syndrome, you know, where they really are confused and they don't know who really loves them because at the beginning of that stage, it's so good. You know, they're fulfilling that need that someone has, whether that's for love or for money or for influence or for shelter or food or whatever it may be. And I mean, I think about you and I both have worked with a survivor who was trafficked by a very popular radio DJ here in Houston and another one who was trafficked out of her high school. But, you know, Carrie, I think the story that resonates with me the most is Maddie's story, of course. You know, just we know uh, that that is something that happened right here in our own backyards, in our community. And her mom is such a powerful advocate. And I would love for you to share Maddie's story. Well, I'm happy to share our side of it. Um, Nikki has given us permission to do that, her, the mom, and said that um, she would love for Maddie's name to be said as loudly and widely as it can be because she wants her story to be known. But someday you really need to talk to Nikki and, and let parents see what her perspective was. But um, the way that we encountered Maddie was um, she actually attended one of our um, outreaches to girls on probation. And we were doing, um, you know, prevention education. What you're hopefully hopefully doing is prevention. Sometimes in those classes, we actually identify people who have already been trafficked. Um, at this time, Maddie had been, but she was not revealing enough to let us know that. We would have cared for her if she'd made an outcry, but she didn't. But um, there was one night after the class um, where our, a dear friend who was um, a volunteer with Unbound and was leading the class, um, you know, had cleaned up the room, was getting ready to go home, came out of the center and just sat with Maddie for a while um, because her ride wasn't there yet. And um, just was getting to know her, um, making sure she got picked up and um, as she was, I think she said something to Maddie like, hey, tell me your story. Like, how'd you get here? Tell me what's going on with you. And of course, there was just an emotional flood where um, Maddie just kind of let it all rip, right? And tell um, our teacher um, what was going on in her life. And um, this, this leader um, heard her say, all of these things she was believing about herself that wasn't true. Like, I'm not good for anything by, but this. No, Nobody will ever trust me again. Um, after this has happened to me, I can't start over. My life's just not going to get better. I just, I'm destined to be in trouble. You know, things like that. 
And our leader just took um, part of the hold of that conversation and said, that is not true. That is not what God says about you. God says he created you in his own image and that he loves you deeply. And, you know, just goes on with that story. And again, more flooding, you know, like as hearing the truth when you're believing a lie, I'm not sure everything changes in that moment, but it's again, like where truth knocks up against the lie that this child has been told. So um, she actually wanted to know God better. And um, I believe on on that night, um, I don't want to share the whole story, but she gave her uh, life to Christ that night. And um, so the leader was just thinking, I, I can't make a relationship. We have all of these protocols. I'm not going to do that. But do I have anything that could help her on this journey? I hate to just like, okay, I talked to you tonight and then let it go. Um, so she went to her car and got out her own personal Bible, um, which was a big deal because this person is a teacher, a communicator. She probably had notes all deep in that Bible, but she just gave it to her and said, hey, read this start somewhere and uh, gave her a few tips about how to know what God says about you, right? And um, later, after Maddie got picked up and as our person was driving home, um, she realized, oh my goodness, in that, in my Bible, um, in the margin, I have all these notes. So our leader's daughter's name was also Maddie. And so she had verses highlighted that said, for Maddie, other ones underlined that said, be sure this is for Maddie, pray this for Maddie, or, you know, stuff like that throughout her Bible. And it just was, oh my goodness, that wasn't planned by anyone. That had to be a God moment where God put these two people together and truth could be communicated. And then even after that, if Maddie looked in that Bible, she was going to see that God had something to say to her too about who she was. And so that's not because Unbound is great. That's just because God's at work through what we're trying to do with these really vulnerable young people who are hearing a lot of lies, um, being manipulated by people who want to use them and exploit them. And even she had a great mom. She had people who loved her. But isolation is the name of the game. And what those traffickers had done with Maddie is driven a wedge between her and the people that loved her. Uh, Reiterated what a lot of teenagers think anyway, that their parents were dumb. Their parents are not with it. But worse, your parents don't love you. Your parents are not really out for your best interest. They're out for their best interest. Um, Untruths about the way people relate to one another, like this kind of behavior and this kind of, you know, this is okay. This is what all grownups do. You're mature. You should be acting like grownups. Or even not just the wedge between you and your family, but the wedge between you and your old set of friends. They're not with it like you. They shouldn't go with us on the weekend because they just, they wouldn't hold up. They're babies. You're you're old. You know, you're more mature. So it's again, driving that wedge and forming this trust. It's so subtle. It's It's there before they even know it. But what if they saw that coming? What if they were equipped with, here's a line they'll give you, here's what they're going to try to do. They're going to try to tell you, I don't love you. You know, you could have all of these conversations ahead of time 
Um, and children are still going to make bad choices. They're still going to, um, you know, be swayed. But goodness, if it's exactly what you said it would be, oh, here's a red flag that they're going to recognize. And they can almost, you, you can formulate a plan before they're delicate, before they're fragile, before they're vulnerable, right? Because of whatever wound this is. Um, where what would I do in this situation? What would I do if it sounded a little bit like mm, grooming? What would it, what would I do if my friend's telling me this is what's being told to them? Would I have a plan? Like, is there somebody safe that I could identify? Even if it wasn't you, mom, who could it be? Could it be my pediatrician? Could it be my nurse practitioner? Could it be my youth group leader? Could it be my, could it be my coach? Could it be my friend's mom? Um, those kind of plans are really important to be made ahead of time before someone's vulnerable. Well, I love that. And I actually just posted about that recently, talking about the five people your teen needs in their life and how we as parents need to embrace that. It may not always be us, but can we help them to identify those trustworthy people that they can go to? Because as parents, we have to realize they're not trying to hide something from us for shame or for manipulation as much right. as they really do care what we think of them. And sometimes yeah. it's hard harder to come to us. Now, I mean, Carrie, we have just scratched the surface, barely scratched the surface of what parents need to know, but you have a lot of resources to offer for parents who want to know more, who want to get more involved. So hit us with all of those things. Tell us everything that we can do to learn more and to get more involved. Um, on our website, unboundnow.org, you can choose locations. You can choose the Houston one, but there are a lot. Um, and there are parent, um, there are online education opportunities for parents and caregivers that just kind of tell you the 101 on human trafficking, what vulnerabilities you would look for, very specific um, indicators that you might notice that about your child that would say, oh, I need to be having another conversation or I need to be uh, vigilant and 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 I need to have a conversation. Um, there are also other resources. We have one, an educational program called Sentinels that's uh, being used with a lot of people. And I, I think small parent groups and small homeschool groups and small um, collective education, you know, just sororities between moms and daughters, those kind of things could use this curriculum because it's very hip, it's very cool. A young, young, much younger person than me is delivering <laughs> the content. But, um, you know, it just it tells them everything they need to know. Who are the players? What would it sound like um, if somebody was manipulating me or a friend? Um, what would I do in this situation? Um, so, so you can connect with all of those research resources if you go to unboundnow.org and you'll get to us that way. And you'll be able to see upcoming ways that you can support Unbound if you happen to be in the Houston area or near one of the other chapters. There are fundraising events and other ways that you can really tangibly support them. I know a lot of times what you do, Carrie, is you'll issue a call for supplies that you need to serve the girls that who are actually there. And so as we end our time together, tell us about some of the things that you do through Unbound Now, how you're making a difference in the community, in the life of the families you're serving? 
Well, we have three primary lines of outreach. We always have these pillars, um, which is just awareness. So we'll we'll speak to community groups. We'll speak to moms groups. We'll speak to Rotarians, whoever really wants to know more and understand this issue better. Um, we have the professional training that we do, which is what you and I did together. But we we reach a lot of other professionals who intersect with young people in a very specific way, whether it's counselors or dentists or um, nurses or whoever, right? Um, and then we also do survivor advocacy. So in 2020, um, momentous year, we opened our survivor advocacy center. And that very first year, um, in just our little office, we served something like 79 victims of trafficking. And that's in kind that we do. We're, we're known for, we do serve Harris County with it. A lot of that comes out, which is where Houston is, but we really serve these outlying communities, safe suburbs, rural counties, suburban counties, like where people are actually still falling prey um, because there is so much intersection there. Children are just so much more available to a predator than they used to be because of their online presence. So we just have to come to grips with that. I, when I raised my children, nobody got to them except through me, right? I certainly didn't have them in my home um, where they could manipulate my child. But it's just our children talk to people we don't know every single day, whether it's on their um, gaming station or their tablet or their phone. Um, there's just so many platforms to interact with people you don't know. And if that person representing themselves to you online is really not who they say they are, how prepared is your child to recognize that? You know, we we have to ask ourselves that very, very frankly, and make sure that as much as we can, that they would feel comfortable and safe talking to you about anything that you wouldn't go, oh my gosh, let's call the police, you know, but you could just have a conversation about, hmm, this looks suspicious. Let me see, has there been anything, you know, where they would invite you into their world. That's, they do care about what parents think. We know that from research, they care what their parents think, um, but they don't want to bring their parent in if their parent's going to react way over the top or cause trouble between them and their friends right away, or make them look, you know, what they would consider dumb, you know, or like a baby. So trusting your child with intelligent, deep conversations, I think that's so important. It sets it sets a standard like that I can talk to my mom or my dad about really important things. They're going to listen and they're going to be there for me. That doesn't happen overnight. It has to really be built. And um I love what you do. That's why I love your book. I put it in all of my kids' Christmas stockings. I really, really did. <laughs> so I said, you need this. You're raising children in a new generation. It's different than what I did. So well, I'm so appreciative of that. And you did. You have an endorsement written in the beginning of this book, which is so great because when I started to write a book, everyone thought, oh, I'll write a book about human trafficking because that's what I do. But parents, listen, I find that it is very hard to talk about because parents think, oh, that's dark. I don't want to think about that. But 
that is our duty as parents to think about those things before our children experience Mm -hmm. them so that they don't experience them. So that's why I talked a lot about upstream risk factors and behind closed doors is about all of those things that can make a child more vulnerable to a trafficking situation. That can be something as simple as a mental health diagnosis or risky social media use or getting involved in substance abuse. I mean, there are so many ways to get involved, but the good news is that there are so many ways to help protect our children. Carrie, Mm -hmm. I'm so appreciative of you being on here. And my last question for you before we let you go is going to be when we're talking about something as scary as this and parents are going to see Sound of Freedom and go see it, let it captivate Mm -hmm. your heart, but don't let it hold your viewpoint, your lens of this issue hostage to one. That's just one way that trafficking happens. Let it grip your heart and expand your horizon to see what's there. But as we look at that horizon, Carrie, what is one word of hope that you would share for our listeners? Well, I one thing is when I first started doing presentations about human trafficking, human trafficking 101, I had to quote this stat that said, once you fall into that life, only 1% or so ever make it out. Now, I don't have proof that that's different, but I will tell you what, I am meeting survivors with beautiful lives all the time. More and more survivors who are actually telling their own story and taking over this movement. At some point, there'll be enough of them to do it all for us. Um, And so that provides me with hope. I think we're identifying more. I think we're... um, walking alongside more of them. And now they're empowered to be um, the the mentor or the person that guides someone out. But the other thing is, think about this, your your child doesn't have to experience this. Prevention education in itself is hope. Um, In this case, prevention is more than worth a pound of cure. Um, I think of all of the trauma that comes with this kind of sexual exploitation. It's deep. It's, it's, it's hard. And that is the scary, dark part of it, right? But if you can recognize it before it happens and head it off at the pass, then that's your hope as a parent. Yes, you do have to be more vigilant than people in the past had to be. Um, yes, um, there are more ways for your child to be exposed to this world that you never would have dreamed of uh, encountering as a child. But you have more influence with your child than anyone. Exercise it. Take advantage of it. Um, put it on your calendar some way because you. The the key to this is deep, multi layered conversations with your child in the car, um, in the kitchen, uh, before they go to bed. What whatever it is. And so, if you can take advantage of every single one of those, you're going to be set up for the for the day they reach for the the point in their life where they don't really appreciate those conversations so much but lay the groundwork and they'll know where to come i promise they want your help it's so true and i can validate that as a healthcare professional in that parents have the most influence. And that can be hard when you see your kid with their face in their phone all the time, and they're not interested in talking to you. I talk about this all the time, how we can't parent for that immediate gratification. Even now, when I have conversations with my kids, they do not say, oh, thank you, mother. That was so wonderful. Oh, 
I I just feel refreshed and renewed and so blessed to have you as my mom. Like that's not what happens. They're like, no, that didn't happen. again, oh, we have to talk about this again. Yes, again, because you lead with intentionality and you plant those seeds of safety that need to be there. I had someone recently ask me when they were t- we were talking about this issue saying, don't you, isn't it your life's goal to save kids from trafficking? And I said, no, it's not. It's my life's goal to see no children trafficked, right? And that's what we want to happen. And I love it. And I'll sign off just like you sign off on everything, Carrie. Your signature line always says, with great hope. And that is how we're going to leave this conversation. Thank you so much again for taking time to spend with us today and to talk about this thing that everybody's talking about and to do it in a way that spreads hope and healing uh, for so many families who may be impacted by this. Oh, thank you. I'm just grateful for the opportunity because um it is our duty to be looking after our, to be our brother's keeper, right? And for most of that, that's right here in our own community. And trafficking is happening in our own community. It's not only third world countries. It's not only dramatic. Sometimes it happens in the mundane circumstances of life. Um, And so now you're equipped. And I just, any chance I get a chance to tell people about it or guide them to more resources, I'm so happy to do that. So thanks, Jessica. Really appreciate it. Thanks so much, Carrie. Bye-bye. Well, that was such a great conversation and a really important one that I always want to have and that I'm always thinking about having. So it's really important, parents, for you to to recognize that trafficking can happen anywhere. Here are some really important practical things that you can do today to help protect your child from becoming a victim of human trafficking. One of the most important things that you can do is to watch their social media use. Don't let them get a social media account until they are at least 13. One common mistake I see parents make is say, you can do this when you are this many years old. Like you can date when you're 16. You can get social media when you're 14 or whatever that age is that you decide. Listen, parents, every kid is different. And so one kid may be okay with social media at 13, while another may not be ready until they're 17 or 18. But I can tell you this, the longer you wait, the better off your teen will be. Teens that learn to use social media responsibly and in a healthy way, and they're starting to use it when they're best equipped to do that, those are the teens that are happiest. The teens that are obsessively, compulsively using it are unhappy, and the teens who are forbidden and never allowed to use it, they're honestly unhappy too when we look at research. So it's all about balance. Now, 13 is the minimum age set by the children's online privacy law. That's federal law. So when you click that box and say they're 13 when they don't, I see a lot of parents say, hey, my kid is really responsible and I watch it really closely. But the law does not make exception for responsible kids and vigilant parents. So make 13 a hard stop for a conversation and have a conversation going on there. I have a lot more tips and behind closed doors on signs that your child may be ready for social media. When they are using social media, make sure their account is set to private. 
Only about 60% of kids use privacy settings. This is a trafficker's dream. Traffickers will pay recruiters to sit online on social media day after day. And all they do is look for kids with public accounts and some sort of vulnerability they can exploit. They will cultivate a relationship. A trafficker can make $300,000 off of exploiting one child. I want you to think about what you're doing for a living. And I'm going to go out on a limb and think that most of you are not making $300,000 a year and thinking about still you still go to work. You still may have gotten your education or put work into a certification or effort into making that money. This is a trafficker's mindset. They will be patient to groom a child over time because the financial payoff is so great. So make sure their accounts are set to private. Usually when I ask kids about this in my practice, they look at me with this deer in the headlights look because they think social media is not intended to be private. Like I want to get discovered or it's supposed to be for public consumption, but minors really should have private accounts. Make their profile picture, which all profile pictures across all social media platforms are uh, public. So make it a generic photo, make it a puppy, a geometric pattern, a beach, just a solid color, something that doesn't say, hey, I'm a minor who's looking for followers. If your child wants to have a public platform, honestly, I wouldn't do that without legal consultation about their protections first, because there are traffickers, there are stalkers, there are pedophiles and all kinds of other nefarious actors who are looking at social media to try to groom and exploit children. And a lot of times, you know, there's some other scary stuff that we've talked about. I've talked about on my social media about AI cloning your child's voice and only needing three seconds of a voice clip to be able to mimic their entire voice and then calling parents and being scared and saying that they think their kids on the phone when they're not. There's just all kinds of scary things. But listen, parents don't run for the hills just yet. These simple things really will go a long way to protecting your child. The other recommendation I have is geolocation or geotagging on your photos. So if your child has an iPhone, It is automatically set to capture a geolocation every time they take a photograph. This is a latitude, a longitude, an altitude, specific data about where they are. Anyone who sees this this photo posted publicly can extract that metadata and start to construct a map of where your child lives and goes to school and where they hang out and where they might be vulnerable. I've seen situations where a trafficker was tracking a child on social media using geolocation data and saw that, hey, on Thursdays, they sit for 15 minutes longer after school because the parent has a meeting. Let me just be a runner that runs by with a cute dog every single day and I'll gain their trust by, oh yeah, that's the guy who runs here every day. Children are susceptible to these kinds of deceptions. And so I'm telling you parents, just taking these short steps to making sure your child's presence is safe online will go a long way. Talk to them about not friending anyone who they don't know IRL. That means in real life. If they're not their friend in real life, they should not be their friend online. Because so many times recruiters or traffickers can get 
street cred by being a friend of a friend of a friend. And somehow everybody knows them, but nobody knows exactly how everyone knows them. And then they might start showing up at parties and they're the person who shows up with beer or, you know, who has backstage passes to Justin Bieber and this lifestyle that looks really attractive. So watch out for those things. So if you want to know more about protecting your child's online presence, go and take a look at chapters two, three, and four in Behind Closed Doors. We talk a lot about online presence in those chapters. If you want to know more about human trafficking, go to unboundnow.org and take that training online. It is free, it is accessible, and there are a lot of resources especially for schools. There is the Sentinels program you can put in school and the National Human Trafficking Technical Training and Assistance Center has just put out a school toolkit that just came out very recently where you can go to your school and say, hey, are we prepared and equipped to engage kids, to talk to them about trafficking risk and to respond should they be there. We see a lot of kids who are trafficked and who are still going to school. They're not carted off to another country. Although, like we said, that can happen. Trafficking is happening right here and right now. The good news is, and the word of hope that I will share, is that as I have gone around the country speaking against trafficking, I will tell you that God is on the move. And there are people who are mobilized and who are moving moving heaven and earth to make an impact on this issue. So how can you talk about this at home? Conversation keys. You can talk to your kids and ask them, are your friends talking about the movie, The Sound of Freedom? What do you know about it? What do you know about trafficking? What would you like to know? What scares you about it? What would make you feel more supported and more safe? Those are your conversation keys. Try them out. Let me know how it goes and I'll see you next time. Thanks for tuning in to the Dr. Nurse Mama podcast, serving as your expert guide on the side to engage, equip, encourage, and empower you to navigate life's toughest issues with your teens. Tune in next week as we explore faith-based health impacts and home strategies to create a safe space in an unsafe world. Together, we'll find hope for healthy relationships. Connect with us online at drnursemama.com or on Facebook and Instagram at Dr. Nurse Mama. We'll see you here next week on American Family Radio.